self-serving persuasive talkers of everything and nothing. We are Conversation Con Artists. What's going on, people? It's your boy, Mr. On Point of the Conversation Con Artists podcast. And today I'm rolling solo dolo. Due to unforeseen circumstances, our podcast episode has disappeared. So we don't have an episode. So this is literally an hour roughly before I typically upload the podcast. And I'm just going to spit some thoughts off off the top of my head. Well, they're not really off the top of my head. I kind of went to some people that I knew would be listening to the podcast. And I asked them, what's some stuff that I could talk about? Some questions that, you know, they have. Some things that's been on their mind lately just so I can talk about them and have some kind of direction and where I'm going but otherwise I have literally no direction uh anyway you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R on point and you can find red at red underscore calamity and if you want to get in contact with us if you want to send us any questions or send us any messages or input from the show um you can send it to either one of those things or you can Send it to the Conversation Con Artist uh, Gmail account, which is conversationconartists at gmail.com. So that's what's going to happen today. But I have to start this situation off with something I need to get off of my chest. I'm a mentor to kids. So sometimes when a kid is doing positively in school or his parent is reporting that he's doing well in the home environment, I'll take that kid to, you know, the place of his choosing to eat. And this past weekend, I took a kid to IHOP. And I can't stand IHOP. I just don't. I I mean, one of my main problems with IHOP is they got us calling this establishment by its acronym, IHOP. It stands for International House of Pancakes, and we sitting here calling it IHOP. I think that's disrespectful to the English language and to every other restaurant establishment that has an actual name that we call it. Now, the second part of that is why would you have a name long enough to have to use an acronym for it? International House of Pancakes. And I haven't looked that deeply into IHOP, but what is the international part? Like, are IHOPs like all over the globe, or was it like founded by an international individual and brought over here to have pancakes? But that ain't even my biggest issue with IHOP. My biggest issue lies in a very specific experience. And the reason that I I thought about this is because IHOP and Waffle House are some of those last resort places that you go to when you're drunk, when you're high or when it's too late at night and you don't have anywhere else to go, those are the places that you go to. So I'm not a generally an, an IHOP daytime visitor. But, you know, this kid, he's been doing well. So I'm like, you know, wherever you want to go, he say IHOP, we're in IHOP. And I'm sitting there thinking about this experience that I had once upon a time. I'm in IHOP. And, you know, they got those combination plates where it got like eggs and sausage and ham. It just got everything on it. They just throw everything on the plate. Grits, hash browns, all the meats, pancakes, all of that. You get it all on the one sitting. And and eggs. And I love eggs. I I grew up eating eggs. That was like 
I feel like now that it was kind of like because we were poor and you can buy a whole bunch of eggs for a little bit, boil three or four eggs, that's dinner. Cook three or four eggs, that's dinner. Like eggs are versatile. You can cut them up and put them in a salad. You can just eat them, throw a little salt and pepper on them. Versatile food, high in cholesterol, but a versatile food. And I don't like ham, particularly at restaurants because I like that sweet honey type ham. But at IHOP, they got that Virginia style ham. It's that salty ham. So the waitress, for some reason, on this particular day, decided to make a point that eggs at IHOP are considered a meat. And she said that all proud or something. I don't know why she would say that. You know, now, if we go back to what eggs actually are, I mean, people call it the chicken period or something like that sometimes. I don't know what it is. I, I just think it, I thought it was a little baby chicken that, you know, didn't get a chance to grow because it's delicious and we murdered it and ate it. And, and you know, that's what we do as humans. We are a superior species. So I don't know if it's actually a meat or byproduct of meat or whatever. All I know is I like it. And she said that it wasn't meat. And I was like, okay, well, can I substitute my ham on this particular plate for eggs? And she said, no. I followed up with, well, you can substitute a meat for a meat, right? Like if I wanted to substitute sausage for ham, I could do that, right? She was like, yes. And I said, but I can't do a substitution of eggs for more or, or more eggs for meat. And she said, no, we don't make those kind of substitutions. And I said, but you just you just went out of your way, irrationally, without me inquiring one bit to tell me that at IHOP we consider eggs a meat, which means that you're either a liar, the system at IHOP is not structured enough for you to be telling people that and be able to make those kind of substitutions, or I lost my mind that day thinking that I could substitute eggs for my ham. But every time I'm in IHOP, I channel that experience. And you know, every time I could, it's like, it's nothing better. Now let me tell you about this particular experience. I went into IHOP and I was in a particular, particularly resistant mode against pancakes. I don't know why. You know, I mean, it's, it's a pancake. It's a cake that you make in a pan. There are not that many ways to ruin that. It's very hard to mess up pancakes. I mean, clearly the only way you can mess it up is if you use milk without fat in it. Don't use skim milk or 1% milk or 2% milk for your pancakes. Use whole milk or half and half. Throw some eggs in there. Throw some butter in there. Throw some sugar in there. As long as you got those fat full ingredients you're gonna get something delicious coming out of it i don't care what it look like i don't care if it's a circle or not and then when you put syrup on top of it that's definitely gonna take you over the edge of deliciousness it's hard to mess that up so this day because i was channeling my inner ahop rage i didn't want pancakes so i ordered a cob salad and you know what that salad looked amazing it looked amazing on the menu it looked amazing when i got it and i asked the server whose name was Yaya, okay? Her name was Yaya. Don't, just, what's your real name? <laughs> I don't I don't want your nickname when you're my server, okay? But that's neither here nor there. I asked her what flavor dressings that they have for the salads, and she said, only ranch. I'm like, 
any vinaigrettes, any honey mustard, anything, only ranch. That does not make sense to me. If you offer a salad in your establishment, you need to have a bunch of dressings. Now, this service seemed to be new, so I don't know if she didn't know whether they actually carried salad dressings and didn't have any or if they don't carry any. She made it sound as if they don't carry any. And bless her little heart. She brought me out a cup of actual vinegar and said, this is vinaigrette. Like, I'm smart enough to know what a cup of vinegar is and what it looks like and more importantly, what it smells like. And I am not in any form, shape, or fashion about to put that in my salad. But, oh, man, she just, she tried so hard to accommodate what I was looking for. But this all feeds into the idea that I hate IHOP. It is in no form acceptable to eat there for me. But every now and then, if I'm with friends or with people that say, hey, let's go to IHOP, I will begrudgingly do so. But just know that that's how I feel about IHOP. The next thing I want to go into is my Bluebell experience. I love ice cream. And you know what? I am going to go ahead and proclaim that my favorite ice cream flavor is buttered pecan. Okay? But I have come to a realization. The only butter pecan that I really, really like is Bluebell butter pecan. And... All throughout 2017, it's been very, very hard for me to find Bluebell Butter Pecan. Really, it's been hard to find any of those flavors that Bluebell has that has pecans in them. Now, if you live in the north, if you live somewhere where you don't have Bluebell uh, ice cream, people in the south rant and rave about it. So don't get your expectations too high because when you do that, then you fall short most of the time. But I love it. It's great. Don't get me wrong. They have some flavors that I don't like. Their strawberry ice cream, do not like it. It just, I thought they couldn't do any wrong, but I don't like the, the strawberry. But butter pecan has not been around. And I'm like, you know what? Pecans are pretty high this season. Maybe they can't find any pecans. We'll, I'll just look, you know, for other flavors or, or brands of butter pecan until they come back. I did not realize that Bluebell was so far superior to every other ice cream that exists when it comes to butter pecan. I tried Haagen-Dazs, and you know what? Haagen-Dazs is the most expensive little pint of ice cream I've ever bought in my life. The original price for it is like $5.99 for a pint. And the only difference I can tell about the quality of that ice cream is that they put a little plastic seal over the top of it, I guess to maintain freshness, I don't know, but it was horrible. It had pecans in it, but it did not taste buttery. You know, in my world, if you throw butter in anything, automatically better. I don't even care what it is. Throw butter in it, it's better. Butter was made to, one, kill you, but also to kill you with deliciousness. That's the important part about it. And so... I've never felt so distraught that I haven't seen this particular ice cream. I mean, when I went home for the holidays, I tried to go to Walmart because I thought it might be in a different city. No, no butter, bluebell butter pecan. I came back up here. I went to three different Walmarts. No butter pecan. And I have never sought something that I deem delicious 
so much so to the point that I would call that business and say, hey, um, where is the butter pecan? So I called the local creamery in Silicago, which she was rude, and she told me to call corporate. I called corporate and asked them, and they were rude, and told me to call local. I called local, and they told me we put some bluebell out today, butter pecan. So tomorrow when I go on my search, I better find some butter pecan because you know what? I have been deprived too long of its deliciousness. Another brand that I tried is Great Value. It was horrible. So I don't really trust anything Great Value. You know, I mean, it's the name is Great Value. Like if I had a shirt that said awesome person all day long, every day, you probably kind of question whether I'm an awesome person or not. You kind of got to show up and show out. So great value should be called something else. Oh, you know what? Maybe great value is the correct term because the value is great, but the quality is ass. Anyway, those are my, <laughs> those are my experiences from the week. And I'm going to get into these questions that I got from some people to do in this quick episode. So, what recently reminded you of how fast time flies? Now, this isn't one that somebody asked. This is something that I found on the internet because it goes into my Christmas experience. So, as I've talked about different random things on the podcast, I've also talked about a lot of my family life. I've talked about how uh, my dad went to jail when I was about three years old. He got out when I was roughly in the eighth grade, around the age of uh, 13, something like that. And we continued to go to his home. Now, my daddy got married the day that he got out of jail. The day he got out of jail, he got married to my stepmom. Now, as far as my stepmom goes, I don't know how desperate you have to be. And I think I said this on a previous episode. I don't know how desperate you have to be to go to the jail to meet who may be your next husband. So my stepmom's sister, her husband was in jail with my dad. And I guess he was like, you know, hey, I know a good dude in here. He got less than a year left, you know. Uh, uh, and I think that, you know, he'll be a good fit for your sister. Get your sister to come up here to the jail, meet him, and then they might have a little thing going. Now, again, don't know how desperate a woman has to be to do that because Red and many other women I know avoid them dudes on plenty of fish and dating websites that have a jail background or a jail fit like the plague. So I don't know what would take you to that. But you know what? Realistically, my stepmama kind of she got a good dude in the sense that he was going to provide for her financially. So she wasn't going to have to worry about that. Now, after he got out of jail, we started going to that house like they got married and he went to go live with her in her house. And we went to went to that house and we had a childhood there. And from 13 to about 17, which was the last time I went there as a child was, you know, we just went there. We we didn't really build a relationship with our dad. We more so kind of, I guess, helped him. Well, my stepmom more than anybody helped him transition back into the world after spending so many years in jail. But what made me realize how fast time flies is this Christmas. I went to my dad's house 
to spend Christmas with him. And I have not been to this house since I was 17. I'm 33 now. And every Christmas, her whole family comes in. And, and we met all these people, you know. But they were like kids and they were younger. So now I go to this house and I mean people that I haven't seen in almost 17 years. And the, the people who were kids with me when I was there got their own kids now. Some of them looked the same. Some of them I didn't even recognize until I heard their names like inadvertently through dialogue from somebody else in, in the house. Uh, caught up with some people that, that I had not seen in that period of time. But man, it helped me realize how much time has flown. I mean, even just going into that house and it feeling so much smaller than it had felt before. That was like, it's eye-opening. And, and, you know, in life, it ends up being very surprising what you find that forces you to think about your life and the context of your life and, and how far you've moved and how far you've come. Like, I'm proud of my uh, profession. So to be able to tell all those people who had seen me in 17 years that I'm a mental health therapist, Mind you, I'm sure was a ton of mental health issues in the room and people who was avoiding me like the plague because, you know, when people find out you're a counselor, they're like, boy, you ain't finna therapize me. Therapize ain't a word, but, you know, I feel, I just feel like that's what they would say. Uh, and when they find that out, they they avoid you like the plague. But I, I really like telling people that that's where I am now. And I like meeting people that I haven't communicated with a while and letting them know, you know, that's the route or the path that I took with my life. And so it was pleasant, but man, it definitely reminded me how fast time flies. Next question. <laughs> uh, also, this episode ain't going to be, it ain't going to be long as our, our general episode. So I'm just going to get through as um, many of these questions as it makes sense to get through. And some of them are silly and weird, but I'm going to try to hit up all of these things. Um, Am I ever going to find love? Now, I've thought a lot about relationships lately because I'm 33 years old. I'm not desperately seeking to be with somebody, but I'm definitely putting in the thought and the energy it takes to find out what will make the kind of relationship that I want to be in for the rest of my life. And a concept that I've been kind of toying with for some time now is is love real? Like, is love a real thing that we're desperately seeking? Or is love a concept that we have come to value and we are more so in love with the concept of love rather than what it takes to actually find it? Because people say stuff like, you know, for this particular person to ask this question is like, am I ever going to find love? The underlying assumption is that love is something that has to be found. It's something that's desired. It's something that we need, you know, but as a therapist, if I look at what we seek to have from individuals, am I going to find, and this is how I look at it because love is a vague generalized concept. So the way I look at it is, am I going to find someone to connect with, you know, because for me personally, I need a connection. Like, 
I want I want you to be in a room and me be in a room. Like if I'm in a room with her family, I want to be able to something happen. I want to be able to look her in the eyes and she know exactly what I'm thinking. Like I want to connect with her like that. Maybe that's love. Maybe that's a component of love. I don't know. Then belonging. Like I want to belong to somebody. You know, I, I want like we 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 come into this world belonging to a varying level of different groups. We belong to a family, parents and brothers and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and, and we belong in that context to a community. And and in that community we belong to a society. And in that society we belong to a varying levels of different environments. And and in that we have these little micro groups like churches and friends and and uh, other types of peer groups and and sports teams we have so many things that we come into the world belonging with but those things do not fulfill the type of belonging that we look for as it pertains to a relationship so i end up looking for that sense of belonging to where i know that somebody is is there for me and i know that i'm there for somebody I don't know if that's love or a component of love, but that's something that I'm looking for. When you're talking about being with somebody that you belong to, that you connect with, I'm also looking for support. I mean, I'm looking for somebody that can hold me up when I'm falling down. And I'm looking for somebody that that can be held up when they're falling down. I think that is a very important part of having somebody that you belong to and you connect with, knowing that through whatever you go through, you can both hold each other up whenever you need to. And I know our society now places a lot of different stipulations on how men and women interact. But at the end of the day, you want somebody that you can belong to, you want somebody that you can connect with, and you want somebody that can support you and not only support you physically, like if I'm physically falling down, like if I'm falling off the couch, I weigh 325 pounds. That's on the generous side. But if I'm falling off the couch, like I want her to grab my arm. <laughs> now, me, her, physics, the universe, God, Buddha, whatever you identify with, all of those, all of those entities know that she ain't finna stop me from falling off that damn couch. But the fact that she is willing to, you know, is, is what I seek to have in support, but not only that physical support, that mental and emotional support, that goal oriented support. Like I want her to support my goals. And you know what? My goals might be a little bit out there sometimes, but somebody who is willing to listen and help me you know, rein in irrational thoughts and things that may not make sense to everybody or may not make sense to her. And, you know, me, you know, valuing her, her ideals enough to, you know, reevaluate and look at that and see what it looks like. So I don't know if that's love or I don't know if that's a part of love, but I think that we continue to use this generalized and it's a whole bunch of other ones that, that I can go through. Don't get me wrong. If you want me to do that, I do it later at some time, but I'm bringing up several of these concepts because we have this overly generalized version of love and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have no idea what love is. So 
Are you going to find love? I don't know. It, it kind of depends on how you define love. But you know what? If you can split love up into a lot of different components that you would like to have in a person, then it's definitely possible to find those things. It's definitely possible to find someone to belong to. It's definitely possible to find someone to connect to. And it's definitely possible to find somebody that can support you and that can that can provide for you and that can can please you sexually and that can they can give you a ton of things that we can define as love but you know what i challenge you to define what love is for yourself in order to determine if it's possible for you to find all of these things up from one person and compile them to deliver and receive it from a person that you want to tell you love regardless of what it means to the rest of the world or to me but what it means to you and what it means to that person so what is love answer that question first for yourself and then let's have another discussion about whether you ever gonna find love or not why is bruno mars so short yet so sexy now this is from one of my rather silly friends as is the next three silly ass questions so I can't call Bruno Mars sexy because I don't see him in that way. When I see Bruno Mars, all I see is curly, puffy hair. All right. That's all I see. Now, when I hear him, I hear what I assume is the voice of an angel. But, you know, a rebellious angel like the one that was singing God's praises, but was kind of like off in the heavens jazz club, because in my world, heaven Heaven kind of got like regular clubs and they got, you know, God might not approve of them, but he let them go on as long as you get out there on Sunday and you praising. Because, I mean, think about heaven. Think about the concept that Satan, the ultimate evil angel, was able to be a rebel in heaven. So imagine how many more angels must be rebels in heaven. There's got to be other rebellious angels in heaven that ain't rebellious enough to get sent to hell, but they over there, over there in the Bruno Mars jazz section singing like hell. So that's what I hear when I hear Bruno Mars. But when I see him, all I see is puffy hair and, you know, and that's it. But what I want, what this question makes me think of is the, the stipulation of men being short. <laughs> you know, like I know it's important aesthetically, for any of us if, if we're trying to date someone it's very important for them to meet our aesthetic needs outside of anything internal because you you can't see what's inside a person from across the street but women you can see a tall dark and handsome ass dude from across the street and men you can see a big fat ass from across the street but you can't see what's inside of them so those aesthetic means are how we end up gravitating over towards what we're going to find out is inside of a person, you know, but there is so much emphasis in our society placed on that aesthetic at the cost of what may be internal qualities that we look for. So I can't tell you why Bruno Mars is so short yet. So sexy. That is a subjective view of uh, Mr. Bruno Mars, but why are you so focused on the man's height? And, and, and furthermore, can a short man that can sing and provide for you financially worth his shortness? Like at some point do, because it seems like it's a lot of other qualities that women deal with 
and men deal with if the person has the aesthetic desires that that person wants. Like, you don't have to focus so much on the internal if the external is present. You know, but being so short, does that help a person recover from his lack of height? Those other things that they provide. Uh, you know, you can let me know if you, if you want to. Uh, why do people still listen to pedophile as R. Kelly? Um, R. Kelly has not been proven to be a pedophile by the court of law, but, you know, we continue to rehash R. Kelly on this podcast, and I'm asking the question because it was asked to me, but I think for some people it's just nostalgic. I think that R. Kelly's music just take them takes them back to a time where you know they were more carefree and like there's music in my life that reminds me of playing like specific stages on Mega Man X on my Super Nintendo. You know, imagine what songs take them back to good times and good days and R. Kelly being there to pick them up. You know, that's the gift and the curse of, you know, music and fandom. You know, when somebody that you love does something horrible, what do you do? Like Sarah Silverman said it best about Louis C.K. Like is it possible to love and continue to love somebody that does horrible things? But R. Kelly, you know, unlike Louis C.K., hadn't even admitted that he's done anything wrong and has continued to deny it. And as much evidence as we have in public opinion that his behavior has shown that he is likely a pedophile, everybody who values R. Kelly enough ain't going ain't gonna to buy it. And I guess my question is, Think about your favorite person. And you know what? My favorite two people right now is Marshawn Lynch, Google the man and all the stuff he do and say, and Tiffany Haddish. I just like those people. <laughs> I don't, I just like them. Like they, I know Tiffany Haddish has come from trauma. So to see somebody who is able to laugh and, and, and function and progress through trauma, like she has, you know, it's two different type of people that come from trauma. Like from trauma, there there are people as far as smiles go. There are people who wake up in the morning and wear the mask of a smile. And that's someone who has not yet overcome their trauma. But they have progressed enough that they can put on a face for people who may need to see that face. And then you have people like what I believe Tiffany Haddish is. is she, she trampled over the top of her trauma. And her smile is what she has on when she wake up in the morning and she move forward. At least I hope that's the case. And Marshawn Lynch is just a, an amazing human being. I don't even know how else to say it. Just look the boy up. Um, But I got off subject. But if your favorite person, if they did something horrible, would they no longer be your favorite person? If they wouldn't, would it be hard? Would there be any confliction? And would they ever be able to recover if they did something that they admitted to and opened up? And, that, um, and, and I'll get into some of that dialogue a little bit more in the future. Um, in the future of this episode, mind you. Why do people pee on the toilet seat and not wipe off their pee? Uh, I don't know. I like to call myself a very proficient peer you know so i pee right into the hole now i'm going to tell you about 
men peeing, okay? Now, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I feel like this has happened to a lot of men. If it hasn't, correct me. But we essentially have a hose pipe hanging out of us. Now, you've seen a, a hose pipe outside, you know, of, of your, your apartment. You had a hose pipe. You used a hose pipe. And, you know, right when you first turn it on, you holding it, you wait for the water to circle out through it and get in it. And then when it comes out, you know, you might be pointing in a, a direction you're not ex expecting and water shooting in a direction you're not expecting. Or maybe you, you know, you, maybe your hose pipe is a little bit more fragile and it, and it you lose control of it and it shoot everywhere. The penis works like that, you know, so... Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you go, well, first off, if you wake up in the morning, you likely got a stiffy. It's just morning wood. If y'all ain't never heard of that morning wood, when a man wakes up, a lot of times the blood that it takes to jumpstart your body from the state of sleep paralysis to a state of wakefulness, it shoots blood into your penis and it's stiff, but you got to pee. So men got to go in a bathroom and where you don't have a hose pipe sticking out of you now is more like a broomstick. So you kind of got to maneuver it to a way to where you can pee in the toilet. So it's a lot of different ways that men end up peeing on the seat. But the only way that men don't wipe that pee up is because they lazy. All right. Now, I don't know how I don't know how women bathrooms work. This, this is a woman that asked me this question. I mean. Y'all don't have that, but like I don't know, I don't know how the vagina pee system works. Like I've never really like looked at a woman peeing. You know, they got they got porn for that, but I ain't never looked at. Like I don't know if it like shoots straight down because a lot of women don't like I've heard they don't like sit on the toilet seat. They kind of like hover. You know, I heard this in comedy shows and stuff like this. So I don't know. I don't know how it works. Like, do women pee on the seat too, and and they don't wipe it up like? That's not something I want to know, but hey, the question brought, brought me to this. So, women, <laughs> let me know if y'all find pee on the seats in in women's bathroom, because you know that's weird. Last question from the silliest question asker I've ever met: uh, Why do possums always run right in front of your car? Why don't they just wait? You know what? I think that animals who run in front of your car, I think they're trying to commit suicide. Like, I think they're tired of life. Like, man, I've been living in these woods. My daddy got hit by a car. My granddaddy got hit by a car. You know what? I, it's just in my bloodline to get hit by a car. And you know what? I'm going to make it happen today. And the deal be like, I'm running out here. Broom. They get hit and booyah. Now, saying possum really let me know where you live. I know you live in Louisiana, but, you know, I, have, I live in Alabama, and I, it's been a long time since I've seen a, a possum, so you must be in the boonie boondocks for that. Anyway, we're going to skip past that question. Uh, for this person, I asked what they've been thinking about lately and how I might be able to give some input about it. And um, and she said that, uh, she said, I've been thinking about how pervasive abuse is. And if it's that pervasive, if we all know and love people who are victims as well as people who are or have been abusers, then how do we hold people accountable it, if it's almost everybody? So as it pertains to Hollywood and celebrities and people that are in the limelight, 
clearly in 2017, we all know they were put on blast. Now, it started with Bill Cosby before that, but it very quickly turned into women finding themselves empowered enough to communicate to the world that, hey, this top level figure or this person that holds some kind of power over me has, you know, been acting inappropriately in, in, in these ways. Even Kevin Spacey, uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, every, you know, y'all, y'all know the names, but Louis CK, who I mentioned, but we got some problems going on with this dialogue in 2017. Everybody got out it. And, and you found a lot of victims and you found a lot of abusers, but what happens now? So we had a whole dialogue about this, but I'm kind of going to talk about what I think, where I think this dialogue is and where I think it needs to go and where it may go. Right now, we are still at the peak, at the euphoric phase of recognizing that society is listening to women. Now, I wouldn't be me if I didn't point out it's almost exclusively white women. You know, white women have generally been the catalyst of how change comes about in this way and black women kind of riding behind that inadvertently, but still not getting all of the press and the acknowledgement of that. Look at the black women who have come out against Harvey Weinstein or uh, on ESPN they they are the ones that they refute that these things happen in the way that they say they happen. Like none of these other people are really kind of being put on blast for being refuted. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, women have found that empowerment to be able to talk about those issues. Now, we are still at the peak of that. We still got allegations coming out today for any of y'all who are, are fans of the Arrowverse flash supergirl the arrow legends of of uh, tomorrow the producer of that show was just fired for these very reasons like we are still at the peak of this happening i mean we just had a, a major award show that they realized that all of these people have been outed and who do we invite or who do we not invite like how to, like this is still a very real dilemma as we focus on it but what the what the uh the euphoric phase of this whole conversation is doing is it's not allowing us an opportunity to begin to discern the difference between a socio or seemingly sociopathic offender like harvey weinstein or those uh conditioned offenders those people who uh offend because society has traditionally offended uh, uh women in those ways or those guys who unintentionally offend who you know could be reformed and could change if somebody told them how to change and how to be different and versus those people who may have offended once or twice accidentally and are remorseful for it but don't really know how to recover to people who are allies and who hope to you know reform and we are still at the peak, but it's important to discern those things. As the Academy has found out, when Harvey Weinstein was outed, they were like, we kicking you out the Academy. But see, I don't know if Hollywood thought it was just Harvey Weinstein 
or if they were trying to support their fellow actresses to the point that they took that action. But see, now you got a Kevin Spacey. Now you got a Louis C.K. Now you got all of these other people who, if you had a scale of how bad they were, all of them aren't as bad as the other ones. Harvey Weinstein, I feel, will fall into that sociopathic range. I think uh, Kevin Spacey probably falls into that, you know, quite a little bit less than sociopathic range. But there is a le- there was a level of intentionality and there was no ownership to his behavior. And then you got the the unintentional offender as to where Louis C.K. intentionally did the things that he did. But it seemed unintentional in that he did not know that it was necessarily as offensive as it was when he did it and was able to own up to it and and apologize for it. And I think we start to when you start to get like down to people who are not celebrities and things of that nature, you start getting off into people who are more unintentional offenders who um, have done it and and not really meant it to be something or it been a, a, a. a misperception or misunderstanding. Now, none of that scale is one in which I'm going to give you a pass. If you did fuck shit, you did fuck shit. But we do need to understand the scale by which all of those things exist so we can have a realistic understanding of who can be rehabilitated to actually being a decent human being and treating women like they are supposed to be treated versus putting everybody under this same umbrella of being next to the Harvey Weinsteins. Cause I'm sure it's plenty of people that are conditioned and unintentionally doing these things that can be taught and understand how to do that. And maybe even shift it over into some allies. Now, will, will it get to a point where we can do that? I don't know, but, even with all these allegations and stuff going on, what I'm afraid of, the biggest thing I'm afraid of is that the only people that this will really impact, whether good, whether bad, or whether we go back to not even talking about it tomorrow, are the people in Hollywood. Because it's still 17, 18, 19 year old girls working at Wendy's or McDonald's or Burger King with a 27, 28 year old manager who does the same shit that Harvey Weinstein was doing. Or doing the same stuff that Kevin Spacey was doing. And I'm afraid that all of this stuff going on is not going to reach the little, like, intricate inner workings of of our society. It might reach some prominent industries, like it might reach the banking industries. Because I got a friend that got an email that talked about, you know, if you touch somebody, you're fucking up. (laughs) Your career is dead, you know, so... I know that some of those things are matriculating into certain industries, but there are a lot of places and environments where people will continue to be left vulnerable. So, but I think first, once this, this whole air of all of these allegations come out and everybody who do wrong, they just, they just wrong. I think we got to start asking what that scale of responsibility and accountability looks like and how can a person recover from that or, or can they never recover? Because if that's the answer, that's fine. Can they never recover from that? Um, I guess we'll find out one day. Um, do you think there's life outside of this planet? I don't. I can't answer that question. I I don't even know if that's a question I want to answer like that. 
that's one of those philosophical questions that takes you so deep into other existences. And in our society, we have a whole bunch of different, uh, we have a whole bunch of different writers and TV shows and movies and, and podcasts and all of these different things that have, have put different thoughts of what, those alternative existences might look like. And I, it's just too vast for me. That's one of the reasons that I don't really like, I don't really like out of outer space story. Like I don't really like genres that have a, such a vast number of retellings of how that, that environment exists. I don't really like out of space stuff for that reason, you know, but I don't know. I think it's plausible because if, if all it took for earth to be an inhabitable planet, habitable, inhabitable, if all it took for earth to be a habitable planet is to have a certain oxygen level and resources on the planet that allow us to thrive and eat and exist, then it is extremely plausible that another environment in the vast endless galaxy that we have exists, you know, but, you know, I look sometimes I look at the world through the lens of like video games like Mass Effect, which is a game where, yes, a whole galaxy of, of different species exists and humans just been too stupid to figure it out until they figure it out, you know, like on Mass Effect. So I kind of look at it through the lens of video games. So if it if it were to happen. And if there were to be other creatures, we're not going to be like a uh, shepherd. We're not going to save the whole universe. We're probably going to get murdered. We narcissistic enough to get our whole planet murdered if somebody could do it. But, um, but I don't, I don't know. I can't. And then life is different. Like, are we talking about little bacteria on the moon or on some other planet? Or when we talk about life, are we talking about life that's similar to what we conceive as life here? You know, like a living and breathing creature and organism, you know, because, you know, the virus is life, <laughs> you know, technically. So, but I don't like thinking about it because I overanalyze shit that I know exists. <laughs> if I start getting into shit that may or may not exist and analyzing that, I'll get lost in the matrix. I take the, uh, I take the blue pill on that question. Um, what's your thoughts on Bitcoin? You know what? I think cryptocurrency is definitely something to look into, but I think that first off, I don't I don't think Bitcoin is the one though. I think Bitcoin was just a way to kind of have shady uh black market type activity with your money, your money not be traceable, you know, but that limits a lot of interaction that you can do with Bitcoin if you if you don't want to be in the dark and and performing illegal acts so like you, no politicians can take that money you know nor corporate no corporations can use bitcoin you know bitcoin just happened to be the first one you know i mean right now you got ripple which is coming up at the end of the day a lot of different uh cryptocurrencies are a lot of industries are trying to find ways to integrate cryptocurrencies in their systems like you got some trying to use cryptocurrency for political systems. You got some using cryptocurrencies for like immediate transfers to from like internationally. So I think that some of these cryptocurrencies are definitely going to find places, uh, their place in a new and modern 
financial structure in our society. But let me talk to you about a problem with the surge of things like Bitcoin or um, anything on the stock market that surges high. So what happens is, hey, everybody learns about Bitcoin and they say, hey, that's going to be the next big thing. You need to invest in Bitcoin and you invest in Bitcoin. You take you know, $2,000 of your savings and you buy as many Bitcoin as you can. If, if, you, if you really thought ahead of time and did your research, you bought Bitcoin when it was pennies and you made a fortune. But what happens is when people start throwing out the idea that, hey, a lot of this, uh, put your money into this stock, you can get rich. It's a lot of people that try to get rich quick. And it's a lot of people that once they get uh, some kind of gains, they sell. And that mass of people selling is inevitably also what leads to the crashing of that same thing that made those people money. And that's a cycle that happens. So Bitcoin increasing as fast as it did is a proposed crash on Bitcoin for that same, you know, from that same system. But, but that's just Bitcoin and it built really, really fast for what it is. And they haven't even worked all the kinks out in Bitcoin. Like people were stealing Bitcoin left and right at some point. Like it's cryptocurrency, it's internet stuff. If it's not secure enough, people will figure out how to take it. I mean, people have figured out how to hack anything, how to create a virus for anything. And so if you're going to put money in cryptocurrency, then I suggest that you look at what that cryptocurrency is doing and what it looks like the market trends for that is going. And know if you're in getting into stocks and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for the long game or for those short sales, you know? So that's just something for you to look up because you can look up a whole, you can buy a whole bunch of penny stocks and it go up to $2 and, and you can get your money. You can, you can make a lot of money doing that. You know, it's just not easy to see those trends for somebody that is not trained. And and I don't think those like app those phone applications that talk about I they don't explain enough, you know, so you got to look out for that. And you know, what books do you read? I don't read a lot of books at all. Like I read like specific isolated chapters out of books that will help me with some kind of counseling related skill, but I don't read books at all. If you've listened to the podcast or know me, you know I got narcolepsy. I fall asleep real quick and me and paper and ink, we don't have a good relationship as it pertains to me getting through that. Like I literally fell asleep reading books in college, woke up and then continue reading because I needed to finish them chapters. That was my relationship with books. So now that I'm not in a situation where I have to have to read, then I don't read much, but I do read more than anything. Articles, think pieces, opinions, ways to kind of, I feel like they help sharpen my way of thinking, you know, because you run into some think pieces that really, really like identify with what you think, but add some more depth to it. And then you run into some think pieces that they just poppycock, like ain't no other word to describe what they are. They are so far away from what you think. But, you know, I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of research. I, I try to interpret a lot of data. I, I look up a lot of numbers when it comes to statistics. 
in our society, especially ones that speak to uh, race and wealth and things of that nature. So I try to stay as informed as possible about stuff, but mainly so I fill in a lot of gaps of my already pre-existing knowledge about things so that they can, you know, it can help me with the dialogue that I have when I have these conversations and discussions with people. But otherwise, I, I don't read very much and, and I keep trying. I'm not going to stop trying to read things. I think that when something very, very great catches my eye. I'll read it. I really want to read Tiffany Haddish's book, The Last Black Unicorn. Um, but I also might just start getting some uh audio books and just have this stuff read to me so that I can still get the content without having to read it, without it putting me to sleep. Because, you know, I drive around all day listening to music and stuff and and that uh it helps uh it would help for it to be that way instead of on paper and on ink. If you can move anywhere in the world, where would you move and why? Assuming moving anywhere in the world means that I will also be able to afford that place for a long period of time, I don't think I want to live outside of the U.S. Uh, my ancestors, they died here. Uh, my grandparents died here. Uh, my grandparents dealt with a lot of shit that our society had to offer. And I don't think I would be doing my ancestors justice if I took myself out and moved away. Um, now, that doesn't extend to the state I'm in because, oh, Lord, I do not want to die in Alabama. OK, I do not want to be buried in Alabama if I have a choice. But. I think I would move to Hawaii if I could afford it. Um just for the you know isolation from the continental united states but from what i hear hawaii has its own level of uh, racism as it pertains to the natives there and white and black people uh, i don't know what that looks like but you know what it'll be interesting to go over there but hawaii is expensive so i don't know it'll just be great to live somewhere where you can be on the beach like almost every day of the year which i don't know if that's the case but i, I heard that that's how it is so that would be interesting. I'd like to move there. Is the C, is the S or the C silent in science? Um, I have to go with the, I have to go with the uh, C being silent. You know, you know, actually, I, I, I'm taking that back. I don't think that the S or the C is silent. I think they working together. I think they like wonder twins in, in the word science. You know, one um activate silence oh <laughs> uh, wonder twin activate form of uh one letter that don't make a damn sound and the other wonder twin activate uh another letter that you know follows up with that other sound the same way i think they just work together like a motherfucker you know what i'm saying i like like uh damn i'm trying to use a sports analogy but i don't know shit about sports so i can't use a sports analogy but they work together very well. That's that's what they do. I was trying to think of a sports duo. So I'm not going to use my knowledge. Think of your favorite sports duo. What sports duo are you thinking about right now when I said that shit? It worked together like them, okay? That's you. That's what we're going to do. Um, what is the dumbest thing that you've ever wasted money on? So let me tell you the dumbest thing I've ever wasted money on, and it comes with an experience. And that's why I feel is the dumbest thing I've ever wasted money on. So if you've seen me, you know that I have a 
very majestic beard, okay? Now, that very majestic beard does not come without being a person that is, what is the best way to put it? Um, Let's just say that I have a lot of body hair, like my back is hairy, my chest is hairy, everything is hairy. This beard comes along with a lot of hair in places that is... I don't want to say unwanted because, I mean, it don't make me any difference, especially after having it this long. Uh, but in a lot of instances, it needs to be shaved. When it's hot outside, I don't need to be hairy. I, I shave often in the summertime. And but at a certain point in my life, I was like, you know what? What's the easiest way to get this hair off of my body? What's the easiest way? And you know what? I I was like, I'll buy some Nair. Now, this was before I was out of the chemical game. Like right now, I don't use I won't use any chemicals. I try my best not to use any man-made chemicals that go towards my body. Clearly, I don't eat just organic food, so there are chemicals that supposedly are FDA or USDA approved for me to consume that I eat in my fast food and all kind of other stuff. But we talking about like chemicals that are supposed to somehow enhance or alter your body structure somehow. So I go and buy some Nair and I'm like, okay, Nair, I, I can fool with this, you know, leave it on for, but the warning, oh my God, the warning got me. Like, don't leave this shit on for more than 90 seconds. Like it could have said it that aggressive and it would have said the same thing that it said. Like, look, listen, listen now, listen to me now. Do not leave this shit on yourself for more than 90 seconds. Now, I don't know why I thought by myself I'd be able to apply this heavily chemicalized product to my back and get it off. But I tried. I failed miserably. And let me tell you how bootleg my setup was. So I was like, you know what? I'll spray the nair on a sock. I had some kind of stick. I think I had I unscrewed the plunger and I got a sock. I put it on the stick. I'll apply this nair to the back, my back, and I let the water run it off. A lot of problems went on with that situation. First off, there's no way for me to evenly apply nair to my back during that whole situation. Okay. And I'm in the shower and I got 90 seconds. I got a minute and 30 seconds to figure all this shit out. So first off, it's not evenly allocated, right? Second off, this bootleg ass stick sock shit I got going on. Y'all, I'm a lot smarter today than I was back then. But this stick sock shit I got going on ain't working. It ain't it ain't doing nothing. The slot every time I slide up and down my back, the sock sliding up, the stick sliding up and I was like, I this was not well thought out. And I'm a minute in. I got 30 seconds left. I don't even know how much of this stuff on my back. I don't got no mirror, so I can know how much of this stuff is on my back. So I let the water rinse off, and it's just, it was a bad experience. I mean, that my hair is too thick for it to have really been fully washed off by the, so I remember just like, at a certain point, I remember freaking out at one minute and 30, say like 90 seconds, I remember freaking out, like getting out the shower and going, getting on the carpet and just like rubbing my back on, like it was fucking horrible. So, if I have to say, lane, we ain't cost number like three dollars and some change. But if I have to ask myself, what is the the dumbest thing that I wasted money on? 
That shit was dumb. And it was a horrible experience, man. Don't use chemicals on your body. Okay. Next question. How many dates do you need to go on before you have a conversation about sexual abuse or physical abuse from a past relationship? Or do you wait until the relationship gets six or more months deep? Now, the blanket statement that anybody will ever tell you is it depends on the people, right? It depends on you. It depends on them. It depends on the depth of your trauma. If you've overcome it, it depends on the depth of their trauma. Um, and if they've overcome it, it depends on if you recognize whether that trauma or whatever happened to you still has an impression upon your life and you're telling them because it may possibly influence your relationship or if it really doesn't have a bearing on your life, but you're telling them about this thing because you want to be open and open and forthcoming with the relationship. But there are a ton of variables that exist because the most important variable that exists is how that other person is going to react to this situation. Now, if you wait too long to tell a person something that they're making a decision about being with you, if you wait too long to disclose that to a person, then they may feel like you don't trust them enough to tell them a lot about your life. But then again, as people, we kind of have to divulge things about ourselves when we are ready to do so. Otherwise, it's going to be forced and uncomfortable. Even if that other person knows you shouldn't really tell them until you're ready. Like as a counselor, I tell my clients, don't talk about nothing with me until you're ready. I know my position makes it seem as if I'm waiting for you to tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. But what I'm really waiting for is for you to feel like telling me your deepest, darkest secrets is a burden lifted rather than, you know, a burden that is, you know, brought about from telling me. You know, so in that way, you know, that's a variable that's important. Are you ready to tell that person? Do you trust them enough? Do you trust them enough with that information? I mean, the, these are these are very, very personal and intimate details about a person's life. So I don't think there's a real time frame about it. But I do think that as our society continues to progress about sexual assault and things of that nature, there are a lot of people that have experienced the harshness and the problems that come along with a world in which misogyny and sexism have led men to do things to women. So if you're a man dating a woman at some point, maybe you should inquire, you know, ask how their experience with men have been, you know, because sometimes they may need, some uh some uh what's the word am i looking for they might want to know that you at least verbally through your mouth are willing to say that that's something that i will never do you know that's something that i've never done uh if you've never done it i mean clearly if you've done it this is conversation will be different but i also you know hope you get help but if you've never done anything like that, you know, and, and and sometimes it'll help them with their story and moving their story along with you. I mean, we, we are at a time when this shit is common, common knowledge. Like it's hard to be dating somebody and not have a conversation about this. I imagine, you know, but at the end of the day, everybody needs to give everybody time to become. But six months deep into a relationship is far too long to hold a whole bunch of important shit about your life back from a person, you know, like 
I don't know. I, it right now is making me ask the question before you marry somebody, should you know everything that there is to know about them that they're willing to tell you, you know, or is marriage like the gateway to learning those deep things about a person? Because now you're kind of intertwined by a legal system, a spiritual system and, and more so an emotional system, you know, which one is it? I don't I don't know. Like for me, I feel like I need to know everything I can know about a person to make the informed decision as to whether to move more forward with them versus moving with them on a whim or without a lack of information and then finding out stuff that I might not want to move forward with them for. So from my perspective, the earlier that you can disclose or communicate about your life with somebody, the better. You know, that's just my my take on it though. I know this is a long time for, you know, one person talking, but we almost done. I'm almost through with these questions. Um, I just love the sound of my voice. So, you know, this is how I do sometimes. Why do you seriously think black people are more divisible among themselves and are so quick to alienate other black people? I guess that's divisive. Why do you think, why do you seriously think black people are more divisive amongst themselves and are so quick to alienate other black people? Uh, because you could trace this back, I think, to our history in this country. Now, the way I look at slavery is slavery is a wound that was not tended to and it has healed over, but with some level of infection to it. Now, I don't want to imply that you know the black community is just an infected community but that metaphor is to represent the problems that come along with not tending to the ills that created that culture you know like think of a culture as an individual right if you take a child and you throw them in the basement and close it and, and beat them and you don't feed them and you, they're, they're malnourished and you don't tend to them they're going to have a level of problems as an adult that can be traced back to that childhood that can be traced back to all of those things that happened to them. And if you look at the African-American culture, you know, we were we we, we were traded amongst amongst owners. We were property. We we weren't people. We were killed, murdered, malnourished, uh, used as pawns. Everything you can think of, the worst things you can think of happened to, to families. And, and a, a group of people, you know, it happened to us back then. That's not even to challenge anything that happened to any other group because the shit that happened in the Holocaust is fucking horrible. But in the context of this conversation between black people, that was our upbringing in this country. And our cultural childhood in this country is one that left us with that kind of wound, that left us with that kind of scar that was never tended to by the people who had the means to tend to it. And now we are in this situation, but we came from an environment in which like, have you ever wondered? I wondered this a lot. Have you ever wondered how there could be 200, 300 slaves on a plantation and not that many masters on the plantation and no, nobody was like, Hey, we could take this bitch over. I mean, until Nat Turner came about, but that still wasn't even every single plantation. That's because the, the war started psychologically and, and the, 
you know, the art of war, the concepts in the art of war, divide and conquer was a very important concept. And it's one that I believe that was used because you talk about light skin versus dark skin. You talk about house versus field. You talk about man versus woman. You talk about family versus family. You talk about big versus little. You talk about status that is tied to a light skinned person having more during those times and a dark skinned person having less in those times. And you wonder why we currently have a light skin team lights, hashtag team light skin, hashtag team dark skin right now. You wonder why there is so much turmoil between the black man and the black woman. You wonder why there is so much competition between the black individuals. I think that all of that can be traced back to slavery. And I think that we're dealing currently with the modern day residual effects of old historical ways of being treated during the times of slavery. That's what I think. So I think that's why we're divisive today It's because those attitudes, we ain't our society was in slavery longer than it's been out of slavery. Think about that. Our environment, the people in our families, our ancestors were in slavery in America longer than we've been out of slavery. You know, my granddaddy's granddaddy, if he wasn't a slave, had a parent that was a slave. You know? So imagine what he taught his sons about how to obey the white man. And, and, and what he taught his sons about how to obey the white man to him teaching my granddaddy about it was a change in time. Don't get me wrong, because at that point in time, my granddaddy could go to college. He had to go to an HBCU, but he can go to a college. But imagine what he taught him about that. And even though my granddaddy raised my mama and my aunts and uncles up in a world that was vastly changing through integration and things of that nature. Imagine how hard it was for him to adjust to a, a message that's different from his father's because of the changing world that was in front of him. And down to my, well, my grandfather kind of helped gave me some of those messages. So I imagine what he told me was similar to what he told his kids, you know, um, but from the, the males in the environment and in the church and in the community that did give me some input, um, being that my dad wasn't there, it was about, even more changes and even greater change in time. So when you talk about why black people are, uh, alienate each other, it goes back to slavery. It goes back to that divisiveness. And we got to figure out, we got to figure out how to, we got to figure out how to heal, heal this wound, you know, um next question why do you think niggas like umar johnson and farrakhan have such a hold on, on and sway on black people educated or not because they have a message that caters to the idea that we don't need anybody else we don't need white people we don't need other brown people we are a self-sufficient culture that provides to everybody else. That's their message. You know, a lot of people, they buy that because a lot of people need to buy that. A lot of people want to buy that. 
we live in a society where we are still oppressed. White people still talking crazy to black people. You know, white supervisors are still not giving black employees opportunities that they're giving white people. And we got Charlottesville going on. Like, this is a different world. And some people need that message. So my daddy went to jail and came out a Muslim. Now, I didn't know the stark differences between Muslim and Nation of Islam related things, but I always thought that a big part of at least the Nation of Islam was that they had a message that was, it blamed the white man, you know, and it to a degree exonerated the black man of their, of the accountability that they supposed to have in, in their own progress, but it ultimately blamed the white man for where we are. But the reason I have a problem with messages like Umar Johnson and Farrakhan is that they, and I don't want to blump these two together. Farrakhan is, is, is much more reputable, but I'm really not fond of either of they version of, you know, black people only, but their message is their messages cater to this idea that, that we don't need anybody else. And a lot of people need that. You know, but as it pertains to like to like jail, my daddy came out of jail a Muslim and I was like, what is that about? So I just thought that a big part of why a lot of brown people, black people go into jail and come out Muslim is that there is a message that helps them cope with the fact that there is an oppressive system that is continuing to oppress us today. And what the hell do we even do about it? You know, um, so I, I understand how the allure of Umar Johnson, because I don't know how much you've heard Umar Johnson, but he is charismatic. He is great with his wording. He he knows what he's talking about, which is misleading. I don't know if he believe what he say or if he know that the way he say it will, you know, have people following him. But I feel like his goal is too egocentric anyway. I don't think it's about. I know he loved black people, but I think a big part of his agenda is about moving forward for himself, not necessarily moving forward for black people the same as himself. And you know what? That's just my opinion. Whatever subjective system I have to determine that's how I feel about him, you know, that's what that's what it is. Um, and Farrakhan is just Farrakhan. You know, he's he's a voice for a large group of, of Muslim, a nation of Islam, or whichever one of them groups that he's, you know, a leader of. Um, last question, everybody, <laughs> you know, like I said, I know you might not love my voice like that, but I love it. I haven't really had an opportunity to be as silly as I'd like to be. I think red really, really helps me be silly as shit, like challenging her and, you know, trying to find ways to make her uncomfortable is, is, is fun. I don't, I'm not being able to do that right now. Um, how do you feel about the terms Uncle Tom, Hotep, and others like it? So I'm going to go down this whole list of terms that have been derogatory towards black people. Um, alligator bait. And, which is what you call a white woman, but what you also call a black woman that was emulating a white woman. Uh, ape, Aunt Jemima, which really, really, really makes me skeptical about uh, my syrup choices. Uh, what's that other syrup called? Is it Hungry Man Jack or Hungry Jack or Hungry? I don't know. Y'all can let me know what the name of that syrup is. Blue gum, boot lip, 
Brownie, Coon, Crow, Darky, Eight Ball, Gable, Groid, Jungle Bunny, Mau Mau, Moon Cricket, Nigger, Oreo, Piccanini, Porch Monkey, Sambo, Shine, Spook, Tar Baby, Thick Lips, and Uncle Tom. Aunt Jemima is like the equivalent to Uncle Tom. It's like the woman version of Uncle Tom. And um and Spook, the Spook that sat by the door. I don't know if y'all heard that movie, but it's a black exploitation movie about this man who got a job at the CIA when they, you know, try to integrate black people into the CIA. Uh, because, you know, the world called for it, and they was like, hey, integrate this black dude. And um, and his role was top secret reproduction center sections chief, which was basically the watcher of the printer. That's the job they gave him. They integrated him in, but, you know, treated him like he was just uh, second rate. And he knew that. But his goal was to see how their system worked so that he can take that system back out to the hood. And he actually started a whole bunch of uh, freedom fighters in Chicago, you know. So it was a a structural systemic you know uh infiltration of a government system that allowed him to take that back out to the hood um but it was just a commentary that spoke about you know our society back then so i don't know exactly what spook mean or where it came from but the spook that sat by the door is a movie that you know you may or may not be interested in watching if you liked black exploitation movies from back then uh, but how do I feel about the term Uncle Tom? Now, I use a lot of these terms, not a lot of these terms, but I use racially related terms recreationally. I say nigga, I, I say coon, um, monkey. I mean, I don't know why. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's generally in jest, and I'll do it with people who, you know, would not find it tasteful to do so. I mean, Clearly, some people believe that there is no tasteful way to do it, you know, but uh, and, and that may be true. But and maybe that's something I should work on. Maybe that's something I should should, you know, stop doing, especially if it's something that I say. I don't know why I do it. Now, I curse. I curse because I like to curse. <laughs> I'm going to curse, you know. So, you know, that is what it is. But as far as using those kind of terms, I don't know why. I guess I got to think about it. But um, hotel is a whole different conversation uh hotel conscious woke i have really really become fed up and frustrated with this group of people um that because uh, what we talked about on the original podcast is michael b jordan people are saying that they're gonna boycott him because he's dating a white woman and and i i'm starting to think that like if you know anything about the bell curve the bed the bell curve is this like U-shaped curve, an upside down U with little, you know, uh, edges on it. And it's the law of averages says that most people lie in the center of that, but there are outliers to that. And I think that most black people are normal as hell. And I think on one side of the outliers, you got these Sheriff Clark, Duncan, and uh, Paris Denard, and Ben Carson, and Herman Cain, and all of those black people who seemingly done ditched their blackness, you know, to gravitate over towards white. And then on the other side, you got these hotel conscious woke people who hate everything not black, you know. But at what point? So every time, like, so when 
Target came out with the LGBT support where the trans man, uh, they weren't going to ban the trans people from the bathroom. You can go to whatever bathroom you want. There was a there was a cry from the black community to take your money somewhere else. You know, I didn't agree with that and I never agree with it. I didn't agree with it this time because it seemed to be a backlash because of uh, black people being mad that, you know, LGBT issues were being put in front of black issues, um, which I am not a supporter of valuing your civil rights matters over other people's civil rights matters. You either just, uh, uh, activist for everybody or activist for nobody as far as I'm concerned. If anybody is suffering, everybody is suffering. So we got to work on making sure everybody ain't suffering. But they say don't take your money to Target. That's not how you create economic freedom and empower a people. I mean, you can take money out of Target pocket, but that don't help shit black related. And I think that when you talk about hotel conscious and woke individuals, the people that, you know, put black before anything, I don't think it's really to empower black. I think it's to take away from everybody else, you know, and that's not the definition of empowerment. If these groups will start, stop focusing on white and how bad white is and how much we can take from white and what we can do with our dollars by taking it away from that. How do we use our dollars for us? Forget talking about them. How do we use our money for us? How do we empower ourselves? Like, why don't you say, hey, let's get a community plan together to build a store that black people come buy their groceries at so that we can build economic wealth and empower ourselves. I'm just tired of this idea that empowerment is supposed to be found in taking shit away from other people. That ain't never been empowerment. And that's why, you know, a lot of a lot of parts of white culture don't they not empowered. They empower, <laughs> they're in power, but they're not empowered. They don't have shit to overcome. We got shit to overcome. We've been overcoming shit and we can achieve. We just got to get on the same page about it. You know, but I don't like that group of people who really just down, you know, that put down other people as if that is, you know, support for black people. They need to alter that. But I do think it's a small population. So, you know, I don't know. But I'm a strong supporter of words and definitions and defining what those things are. Hotel woke conscious. If you call yourself one of those things, then let me know what, what that means to you. Because maybe I'm just vastly misrepresenting what that is you know i don't i don't really dabble in that i i operate in a white world and i'm trying to figure out how to navigate it and maintain as much of my blackness as i can you know i haven't really had many experiences that make me challenge my blackness at the cost of that but you know it is what it is so uh but anyway look i appreciate y'all for putting up with my voice for an hour and 22 minutes uh i appreciate those of y'all who gave me some questions to answer um me and red will be back next week and uh i appreciate you for listening you can find me on twitter and instagram at mr m-i-s-t-e-r underscore on point and that's how we kick it and until we con the next conversation i'm out